When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. everyone and welcome to the program today my special guest is my real good friend Bew White and Bew created a furniture line that has just turned out to be well it's going to be his legacy it's just a fantastic story Bew is an Auburn grad he's a tiger and you know what he's from the SEC so as we say down south I'm going to claim him But he's going to be my special guest coming up here in just a couple of minutes. You're going to find out how he built a wonderful furniture line and has become an outstanding leader. We're going to have some leadership tips and a whole lot more in that conversation that you're going to want to listen to coming up here in just a minute. Also today, I've got three key questions that you can journal or you can ask yourself to grow your leadership abilities. Today's Better Than Before program is brought to you by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. I'll be back with Bew White right here on Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards, and I'm happy to welcome Bew White III. 
He's a chairman of the board of Gabriella White and its brands, Summer Classics, Gabby and Wendy Jane. In 2013, he was named Entrepreneur of the Year by the Society of International Business Fellows. And in 2021, Bew White received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Casual Furnishings Association. He's also the subject of the well-received biography, A Summer Classic, The Bew White Story by Christopher Taunton. He graduated from Auburn University in 1972, and he's a fellow SEC guy, so we've got that in common. He's got a degree in textile engineering, and the phrase outdoor living had hardly been mentioned or coined as outdoor furniture was simply known as a table and chairs you'd find on a basic patio deck. At just 28 years old, Mr. White left his job at a family-owned business, Avondale Mills, and started a sales rep company in 1978 called Vista Corporation, specializing in selling outdoor furniture. In 1987, Bue started multiple companies in an effort to expand from selling on the road to building a national brand. And one of those companies was Summer Classics, which was created around Bue's thought of designing and manufacturing products that he would want in his own backyard with a business model based on creating products that were consumer driven and that would stand the test of time and would not go out of style. Summer Classics officially took off in 1987 and has never looked back. Help me welcome to the show, Bew White. Bew, glad to have you today. Yes, thanks. Great to be here. You bet, man. Well, gosh, that's covering a lot of ground there. Yeah, that was uh, a great intro. Thank you for that. That's yeah, the best intro ever. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad I could be that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, tell me a little bit about what led you to want to tell your story. The main thing is I had an event, a near-death experience that shook me up and said, you've done a lot in your life and your grandchildren don't know and your grandchildren's grandchildren won't know how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur. I think that's a lot of people think, you know, I'll just go start a business and make up a million dollars. And of course, a million dollars isn't what it used to be, <laughs> Yeah, but it's that easy. So I was kind of saying, I wonder if people would be interested in this. There's a love story in it. It's kind of like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's very similar to that, except I didn't try to kill myself. Yeah. I did almost that. So I was, it, and it woke me up to say, you know, you need to get this all on paper. It was really a heritage thing as well. You know, I wrote it for my grandchildren's grandchildren. So it was kind of a legacy decision. So I'm intrigued about the near-death experience. What happened? I've been to China 29 times, and I would go a lot. And right. so when you're in the, what they call the tube, the airplane that long and not moving around enough, your blood platelets stabilize and you get blood clots in your legs. And if one of those goes into your lungs, heart, kidney, liver, brain, that's what aneurysm is, by the way, you can die. So I had five in my lungs. I only found out because I was like, my leg is killing me. And I went to the hospital. I was actually in Atlanta away from my, I live in Birmingham. And I said, I got to go to the hospital right now. So I got in my car and drove to the Piedmont Hospital, and they did a Doppler on my leg. And I'd had it done before because I'd had problems before. But then they said, you got a lot of blood clots in your legs. And they took CT scan on my lungs and said, well, you got five in your lungs. We're going to keep you here overnight. And the next morning, my heart stopped. And I'm in the hospital bed, and my wife is down in the cafeteria getting a cup of coffee. And I text her saying, help. She's oh, like, man. what's up? She thinks I've lost my phone or something. I said, well, how can I text you if I lost my phone? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you're not thinking in those kind of situations. You know? Exactly. It's over. I was kind of sent her a note saying, I think this is it. Game over. 
She's yeah, like, sure. And I'm pushing the thing to get the nurse into the room because when your heart's stopping, it's pretty obvious yeah. you're about to die. You get a signal to your brain that says, you're going to die. You got a few minutes here. We're out of here. Say whatever you're going to say. I was like, I don't even have anybody to talk to to say anything. Well, it's amazing that your brain coalesced around the thing you should do. It's almost like the drowning guy does the opposite thing of what they should do. That's pretty amazing. Is that the most impactful event you've had happen to you? No, not even close. Not I, even I mean, close. I say that. It's been impactful. The fact that I've lived, that was 2013. So I've lived another nine years. And those have been an incredible nine years, incredible nine years. If that wasn't, what is the most impactful 2000, event? 2008 recession. And there's only one chapter in the book about it, but it's the most, I think it's the most important one because we doubled every three and a half years since I started the business. I call it like riding a roller coaster, but you're only going on that part that goes down after it goes to the top. Ah, you know, right, saying, right. I don't know how to do this, and but I'm pushing through and making it happen. And so obviously great demand for the products. But I couldn't finance it. got to a size I couldn't finance it out of my pocket. So I was constantly looking for banks. And one day, Royal Bank of Scotland came in my office, and I kind of wrote my own ticket. I mean, this is, I like 63% on inventory. If anybody knows about business, about loans, you'll understand 63% on inventory is a really high number. And then right. 95% on receivables. I mean, I got, and then I, an over advance. I mean, I just got pretty much wrote whatever I want, no personal guarantee, and a $20 million line. So then I had, in eight, they started squeezing me. And in nine, they squeezed me where they were taking millions of dollars out of my account on a weekly basis. And I was like, well, this, I'm not going to have any money to operate. To, to finance, yeah. Yeah. So I said, I don't know what to do. And I was praying and I was like, couldn't sleep at night. And I was like, I don't have the wisdom to get through this. So I won't say I came up with this idea. I would say maybe God came up with this idea. So I started calling my suppliers and I had really tight relationships with my suppliers. I called my biggest supplier in China. He said, okay, well, don't pay me. I was like, what do you mean don't pay you? Like ever? No, just ride your payables. I'll support you. I believe in you. We're locked at the hip. I mean, yeah, you I, I have two plants that all they make is my product. And I said, well, how much? How much will you go? He said, $2 million. So I said, okay, great. Awesome. We'll go 180 days and see how that goes. But, you know, you have to keep paying me something. You can't just not pay me at all. Right. It's $2 million. I could run through $2 million pretty quick. But then I called my other suppliers and I got a million, a half million. I kept getting more and more money and more and more commitments from suppliers that believed in the business model and me. And it saved the company. And then CIT was a factor. You know what factoring is? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, where you give your receivables. So by, we were factoring. We had two factors at the time. We don't really do this anymore, but we had two factors at the time. We didn't borrow from the factors because it was cheaper to borrow from the bank. And we were getting 1.7 over LIBOR, which was less than 2% because LIBOR was less than a quarter of a point or something at the time. So we were borrowing it with really cheap rates. But the Fed started putting CIT under the microscope, I was like, man, CIT owes us $3 million. What's going to be a big problem for us? And so I tried to get my senators and congressmen involved. And in fact, a senator from Alabama who's retiring this year, and he was head of the finance committee, didn't know what factoring. I called him. He didn't even know what factoring was and practically hung up on me. I was like, oh. wow, this is incredible. And so I 
sent a blind email to CNBC Squawk Box, which I watch every day. Sure, me too. Find it and said, would you come on? I went, okay. And so I went on CNBC and explained what factoring was and how many people were going to go out of business. I mean, they have 60,000 accounts, CIT. They're bigger than all the factors combined. And so I made a little speech about that. And I also called Royal Bank of Scotland and said, all right, I'm going on CNBC and I have an agreement with them. If you try to nail me, I'm going back on to talk about you guys. Right, right. Don't play games. Don't This game you're playing with me needs to stop now. Well, you're Chinese. Or, or, or I'm going on press. And so it, it, it worked. Both the, both the situations worked. And Well, for our audience who may be sitting there thinking <clears throat> about your Chinese vendor who said, don't pay me or whatever, sometimes when you're not in necessarily a legal partnership, but you're in a vendor-supplier partnership, the only way for both of you to survive is stick together. You yeah, know? it's symbiotic. It's a symbiotic relation. This was particularly symbiotic because they're our biggest supplier and that's all they did. That's all they did is make our product. And but you're one of their I, biggest customers. Yeah, we have really tight specifications and not many people will do it because it's so difficult to do and it's real high UV and it's just, it was just an unusual, it shows you the importance of relationships. Yeah, well, speaking Obviously, of- relationship. Yeah. Then I had Synovus on top of that. I was with Synovus. They got in trouble. I found out later on that the problem was the banks didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. They had nowhere to get money. Yeah, and the only yeah, place that... they could get money was to go back to their clients and squeeze them and make them move their line. But you couldn't move your line back then, so it was really difficult. Yeah, Synovus that... moved all my real estate loans. I had, I had five real estate loans all in the million-dollar range or higher, and I was like, wow, I'm getting squeezed on both sides. Fortunately, I found a bank that would take those, but that was very, it was a difficult, it was the most difficult time of my life. Yeah, the 08, 09 situation was driven mainly by lack of liquidity. And I don't know that a lot of people really realize that or know that. Speaking of relationships, though, I was looking through your notes. Your dad was a big inspiration for you. What kind of role did he play as you were coming up? You announced in the beginning that I had uh, a textile engineering degree, which, by the way, Auburn doesn't even have a textile school anymore because it all went for. But anyway, I was planning on going into textile business and hopefully work for my great-grandfather's company that was a Fortune 500 company that he started back in 1904. Dad was on the board of that company, and I got in there, and I was doing great. I tripled my salary within the first four years because I was selling on commission and I got promoted to assistant vice president, which was a big deal for me at the time. And then I was calling on small entrepreneurs that were jobbers. You know what a jobber is? Yeah, it's really sure. In that business, somebody that buy low, sell high. They would buy fabric on them and lots of volume of fabric and then resell it for, they may resell it for 10 cents more, whatever it was, they'd flip it. Or they may cut it. They may have their own cutting operation and cut it and sew it and give a great price to whoever. I got interested because this one of these jobbers had like a three-person operation, and I was out to lunch with him one day, and he said, you mind telling me how much you pay yourself? He gave me a number, and it was higher than what the president of Avondale Mills was making. I was like, man. And four of my cousins came in after me, so I was like, this is going to be a bloodbath when we get to be 50 and Everybody wants to be president. I got to fight with my cousins. And I'm like, entrepreneurship sounds like a better deal to me. So I bought part of a small furniture company 
that made furniture in Birmingham and they were transferring me to Greensboro, North Carolina. And I was like, I didn't, you know, Greensboro was great. I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur and dad supported me. He was like, instead of, no, you need to stay where you are. And he's on the board. He's like, Hey, I have a lot of clients that have built their own business. And it's incredible. If you can find the tipping point, which it took a long time to find at some places, but if you can find that, then the numbers are incredible. So I bought part of this small company and it was a disaster. It was my first in my, what I call my MBA of mistakes. I just, from that point forward, I just made mistake after mistake. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Learning the hard way. And so that's the dad story. So you just looked at outdoor furniture and said, I think other people would like this, like I like this, right? So that's kind of how the summer classics idea came about. Not really. Well, I was, in your introduction, you said I was a sales rep and I was selling. So after that disaster happened, I said, okay, I'm just going to go on the road and sell myself. And so I started selling myself. It's a little longer story than that. But basically, I I was making $25,000. I I got from making $65,000 a year to making $25,000 a year. I was like, I can't even live on this. Sure. And so I was like, I got to get out of here. So I started a rep company and... I started making 200,000 plus a year doing that. And then, so, but I was gone all the time. I had three young kids and I'm like, and they were constantly saying, we don't even know who our father is. You know? Oh boy. I got to stop this. And the only way to do that is I got to start something that's not so dependent on me being away from home selling. So I started eight or 10 different companies under the name Vista Corporation. And because I was selling outdoor furniture on the road, that was my big brand. That's where I made all my money selling outdoor furniture. One day I realized I didn't like what I sold and I didn't like any of my competitor stuff, but I had a certain thing that I wanted at the time. It was painted wooden, white wooden furniture. And I was like, I really like that. That's what I, I want to do that. And so I started a company doing that called Summer Classics. Quick story. I was in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And one of my dealers, and he had some Adirondack chairs in there with the name Summer Classics on it. And I went, wow, this is cool. And I was thinking, I'll pick this line up. So he comes in. I was like, who's this Summer Classics? And he, was, he said, well, that's me. I was like, well, you're a retailer. You don't start a brand. Well, I just came up with a name. I got this guy down the street making these for me. And I'm selling them. I came up with a name. I went, that's a great name. So I went back and got with my father was an attorney and and it got his firm to search summer classes. And they said, you can get it, but that guy has first rights because he came up with it. I said, well, what can I do? He said, well, he'll assign it to you. You can have it. So I said, okay, well go ahead and apply. And let me see. I don't, there's no sense if I can't get it. There's no sense in me calling him. So it turns out I could get it. So I called him. I said, Hey, what are you doing with that summer classics? thing he said oh the guy went out of business i'm not doing anything with it well can i have it yeah you can have it <laughs> oh my you sign something yeah okay so i get him signed i was like i'm on my way you bet so then i sold the heck out of the stuff and i was like i gotta come up with some stuff that maybe i like but i wouldn't buy necessarily for myself i gotta figure out what other baby boomers would like but be different than the stuff i don't like that's in the marketplace and I would go to market and people would just not understand the product because it looked like indoor furniture you could put outside. But then it caught on. By the way, there's a store in Louisville, a summer classic store in Louisville. It's one of our best stores. It's awesome. a, and we don't own it. It's not a franchise. It's a licensed store. 
it's done great. It's been there probably 15 years. Well, you have a intriguing and amazing story. So I'll take the opportunity to let you play mentor here a little bit for those in the audience. What advice would you give people who are just, they have an idea and they're just starting out in their career or they want to do something equivalent to what you've kind of done? What advice would you give them? Do you know who Gino Wickman is? No. The guy that started EOS is an entrepreneurial operating system, but he also wrote. Oh, uh, yeah, Gino Wickman. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. He also wrote a book called Entrepreneurial Leap, which I suggest they read. And it gives the six traits of an entrepreneur. And if you don't have all six of them, don't do it. Yeah, pass. I read it too late. I was like, oh my God, I have this? <laughs> yeah, okay, I got that one. Okay, I got that one. You know, so it's visionary. Seeing something no one else sees is what I call that. Sure, yeah. You have a vision of something that other people don't see. Passionate. Whatever it is that you see, you're really passionate about it. This is the big one. This next one's the big one that most people don't have. And boy, you don't. I have it to the nth degree. It's called risk taker. The willingness to take risks that seem foolish. I used to put my house up every year for like 10 years. Yeah, right. I take all the equity out of my house and put it in the company because I couldn't get enough bank loans to finance the growth. Well, I would agree with you. Most people don't do not have that. I mean, they're going nutso right now with the fluctuations of the market. Yeah. So you got to be calm in times of difficulties. The next one is driven. You're driven. I call it, you can't sleep at night. You have an idea in your brain and you're so driven to execute it. You can't sleep. It drives you to do that. And problem solver is the next one which is part of what EOS is, is solving problems every week, every day. And then responsible is the last one. Responsible, that one goes without saying. I think you got to pay your bills, call your vendors if you can. You're responsible for other people too. You got all these employees. I have hundreds of employees. So, Do you think that people who have the idea generation part of it, do you think sometimes they fall into the trap of trying to do too many ideas? The execution of the idea is really hard. And if you don't have that gene, if you don't have those six traits, of course, I can't do everything. I found out pretty quick. Right, right. <laughs> I can't do everything. I got to get other people to help me. And I didn't have any money to pay them. I was like, I got to borrow money to pay my people to do accounting. That was right. another one. That was another thing. Learn how to read a financial statement. I mean, I, uh, I was forced to learn how to read a financial I was like, I better learn this or I'm going to go out of business. That's right especially when you're carrying inventory and you got turns and all that. But I find that people who get really, they're pretty creative and they have a lot of ideas and you talk to them and they're like, and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. And I'm like, let's start with the first one. Let's do that one. Get your foundation built. What do you think you've had a lot of success in your life? What do you attribute that to? What does it take to be successful in life? Well, I think the most important thing is relationships. I mean, I kind of gave you that on the vendor side, but yeah, you've been- my relationship with my wife has been, because I gave up on myself. I just went, I can't do this. I can go get a job for two, dollars $300,000 a year. I'm paying myself $40,000 a year for 10 years. I'm like, I can't. Wendy, her name's Wendy. I went, this is crazy. And she went, no, you can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. Okay, I'll keep trying. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's, enough, that's important. 
it came true. And then my vendor relationship, my employee relationships, my friends' relationships, all those relationships make you who you are. So that's, I think, to me, if I was going to give somebody advice about anything, it would be relationships are really critical to your success. I'm often asked by salespeople, business development people, whatever you want to call it, how do you speed up the sales cycle? And I always say one word, relationship. Mm -hmm. You could try for three years to get an account and another person who has a relationship can get it in 10 minutes, you know? So, well, when people are reading your life story, what's the most important takeaway you think? It's that starting a company and running it and becoming a brand is not easy. Hey, I just finished the Phil Knight book. Have you read that yet? A shoe dog? Yeah. It's exactly. I mean, I was reading that going, wow, this is a total correlation, except much bigger numbers to my story. Except that you remember that part where the bank has bounced all his checks, even his payroll checks? I was like, now nah, I had some pretty difficult banking times, but I never had one of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic book. And that new series they have out now about the L.A. Lakers has a scene in it where Phil Knight is hanging out at this conference. He doesn't have a booth. He doesn't have anything. And he's just going up to these athletes and asking them if they would endorse one of his shoes. And so he goes up to Magic <clears throat> Johnson and offers Magic Johnson this deal of the shoe and Johnson turns him down and goes with Converse. And then they put up on the screen, the billions of dollars that magic missed out on. Cause he turned Phil Knight down, Yeah, but he was, Phil wasn't anybody at the time, you know, Yeah, he finally ended up getting Jordan. Yeah. Uh, but that's a, yeah, that's a fantastic book. Yeah. Well, it is very simple story. Maybe his is much better written than mine, but it's a great story. He was making all those trips to, was it Japan? And he's making yeah, all those trips. When he, he was, was called Blue Origin or something. I can't remember what the name Blue something. Yeah. And he was stopping off in Hawaii and taking a break. And yeah, I love Phil's story. I've got a standard list of closing questions I ask everybody that comes on the show. So I want to run these by you real quick. That'd be all right. Go. What's the best memory that comes to mind for you? It should be my marriage because that's been incredible. I, I've got one and it's in the book, my 25th anniversary. I decided to have a 25th anniversary party, black tie. And afterwards I got letters from every person that attended and it was about marriage. And I think a lot of the people there went, wow, that was incredible. I had no idea. And it was funny too. I had, a, I had an MC. He was my little brother in fraternity at Auburn and he did a great job. Everybody thought I had paid him. I'm like, how much you pay that guy? I was like, no, that's <laughs> They just were like, yeah, right. Okay, I'd never mind. That's awesome. It was an incredible event. It made me think how important marriage was. It just gave me that I needed that grounding because I felt like I hadn't been a good husband. I did a video for him. Doing it, I realized I need to be a better husband. And so I became, I really worked on that. 50th is in July, so. Congratulations. Who's the number one hero in your life? I think it's her. It's her. She's an angel. I mean, my wife is an angel. I like, I want to be like her. Uh, that's good. But I can't. And I think it, it works in a reverse for her, too. So, oh, I want to be like you. It's like, I don't think so. Well, I think that's what <laughs> makes two people work together. Mutual trust and admiration. What's the top value you subscribe to? 
This is from my grandfather, great grandfather. Money is not the most important thing in life, but it's second to whatever's first. Actually, I think you should put God first. That's what I would subscribe to is the relationships. Like I said, relationships are the most important. Your relationship with your Savior should be number one for me. I agree. My granddad used to say, money's not everything, but it comes in handy. (laughs) Exactly. Who's the most important person in your life? Well, I think I already told you that's definitely same same answer. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? I have a farm in South Alabama that I say I have three houses. I bought one. I inherited two houses. And the one, the farm, it's the most expensive house ever because keeping it up is incredible. But I love going there. I love going there and seeing. I'm a tree nut. I love trees. And if just seeing trees, like when I lived in New York City, going to Central Park was about all I could do. We would actually get on a train and go out in the country and just get off the train and walk around because we realized after a while it's the fact that we don't see trees. Right. So going to this place really calms I think, me. I think that's a unique thing for people in the South, in the Midwest, because once you get toward the West, I mean, the trees get scarce. You know. Yeah. What's your favorite food? It's somewhere between blueberry cobbler and peach cobbler. Well, of course, a good Southern boy would say <laughs> yeah, that. I'm a, I'm a dessert guy. Chocolate. <laughs> my wife makes something called Milky Way cake. And oh it's like, you can't even, but it has like 12 bars of Milky Way. So I'm like, it'll kill you, but it's awesome. What do you think the most beautiful place you've ever been to is? I just got back from Versailles. Have you ever been to Versailles? No, I haven't. But I always wanted to go to Normandy and France and there's a movie on, I think it's, I think it's on Netflix. You get it. It's a movie that the British Broadcasting BBC did. And it's about the building of Versailles, but it's the whole history of France during that period. But that place is so, boy, talk about cool trees. That place is incredible. We spent three nights there. This is just like three weeks ago. But that place is, but I'd say my farm, like again, to go back to my farm is probably yeah. the only I think about the most. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Grit. Grit. The ability to push through. This is the way my son describes me when he introduces me to speak. The ability to push through when the odds seem impossible. Yes, that's awesome. That should be the seventh one. (laughs) Yeah. We talked about this earlier, like that's one of the reasons why you wanted to do all this and write the book and all, but how do you want to be remembered? As a great husband, I think that's probably number one for me. If you could go back and talk to a young view and could give some advice to him, what advice would you give? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Southerners like to talk, man. Yeah, I know. I've got that same problem. What's your favorite sound? Oh, whippoorwill. No. No? Quail. Quail. (laughs) I love to hunt quail, so I was like, that may be, I don't know, that's my favorite sound. Probably waterfall would probably be my favorite sound. Water's a good one. Water's a good one. Out of all the lessons you've learned, what's the best lesson? It's the Churchill. You remember the speech that was like one sentence? Never, never, never give up. That's great. That's great. We've been visiting with B. White III with Summer Classics and various other industries. You people want to find out more about you. How can they do that? Well, they can buy my book. <laughs> yeah. How do they get the book? Yeah. I think that's a 
viewwhite.com or go in the summer classic store in louisville and buy one you know they're selling them or go to amazon or this is a cool story my roommate in college is an actor producer director and he reads the audible and i like to I, in fact i did the shoe dog on audible oh and good. So he was crying during certain sections and i had to listen to him i was like his name's michael young i called him i said you were crying during certain sec- were you acting or is that really you and he went, well, which sections was it? I was like, okay, you were acting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed learning more about it. And you provided a lot of value for our listeners. I hope so. Well, that's the whole point of the book is to provide value to the person that wants to get in their own business and sees it's not that easy. Bew White, everybody. Stand by. I'll have more for you coming up just seconds here on Better Than Before. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday morning coaching memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Master Coach Tony Richards. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Now we're off to the races here in the third quarter. And I've got three key questions that you can use for your journaling time, or you can use to ask yourself these questions to build up your leadership abilities. And here we go. Number one, at the end of the day, clean desk and clean floor. Can you handle the challenge? Do you think you can leave at the end of every day with a clean desk and a clean floor? Let's see if you can handle it. Question number two, how determined are you to reach your goals? And this will speak to something that I call the desperation quotient. So you have to marry your passion and your work ethic and your determination all together to figure out how to channel all that energy in an efficient, effective, and productive way to hit your benchmarks along the way. So how determined are you to reach your goals? And all of those things I just mentioned, passion, work ethic, desperation quotient, give yourself a score between one and 10 and anything under seven, you're going to have to get on up there. You're not going to hit your goals. Number three, How do you infuse confidence in your team, especially in proportion to the difficulty of the tasks you are giving them? So you always want to give your team tough challenges, things that are going to grow them, not things that are going to be absolutely killer to them. And at the same time, while you're giving them these things that are designed to give them some growing pains and develop them and grow them and allow them to rise up to the challenge. That's an art, by the way. 
to be able to give them things that maybe are just a little over their head. So they'll have to stretch in order to do them. But at the same time, you can't forget to also infuse some confidence into them, which means you have to have confidence because remember the rule, you can't give anybody anything that you don't already have and possess. So if you have confidence and you possess confidence, Take some of that confidence and infuse it into some of your team members. That can be done in a whole bunch of different ways. Spend time journaling. Spend time asking yourself. Spend time strategically thinking how you're going to, A, give them things that are going to be just above their head that they'll have to stretch and grow in order to accomplish them. And then also spend time thinking about how are you going to infuse them with some of the confidence that you had to obtain to get to your position as a leader. Well, that's our show today. Better than before is brought to you by university Subaru university Subaru homegrown and proud of it. I'm your master coach, Tony Richards, reminding you that you can follow me on social media. I've got a Facebook page, Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach. I've got a Twitter at Tony Richards Four, and always, always, always special thanks to our super producer, Tessa Hall, that puts this program together every single week. Until I see you next week, I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. For listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.